You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We spent a lot of time deciding what to do for this week's show. Do we have Max Muncy on like we promised? That didn't feel right. It's a baseball show, but talking baseball didn't feel right either. So what do we do? Well, we decided to have a conversation. Three friends, one of them black, two of them white. Oral and I agreed. Mostly the two of us just wanted to listen. And so here it is, episode nine. There's a quote from the late author James Baldwin that I saw this week, guys. It really made me think. Baldwin wrote, Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Wow, that's that's really really good, and and I haven't heard that one before, and um, I, I've heard not exactly the quote in the sense of everything you know that's worth the price or a fight you know comes with resistance, and um, yeah, this is a baseball show, and as you mentioned, Joe, this is friends talking, and obviously, in light of what what's transpired, you know, which was on tape recently. Uh, with the death of George Floyd, but obviously with, with, with what has transpired for, for decades. And I think that uh, for us to have an opportunity to kind of talk about it openly, honestly, candidly, these uncomfortable conversations um, promotes change. And, and so I, I'm really excited to kind of um, put my heart, my thoughts uh, out there with you guys. Doc, you and I were talking yesterday, and you mentioned something that your daughter Emmy had said, and I thought it was, it was so powerful and, and simple, but another thing that really hit me, simply being not racist isn't good enough. And I think that I'm as guilty as the next guy of being not racist and then kind of sticking my head in the sand, like you said, and, and just going about my business. But a lot of people for a long, long time have been, quote, not racist. And that passive approach, if this week has taught us anything, is that it's not working. It's not working. It's, it's not working. And I think that it's the path of, of least resistance. Um, and Emmy, who's 15 years old, um, who's very kind of articulate and aware of what's going around uh, in, our, in our, my household, in our world. And for her to say that was very honest. And I think that you know, tolerating, liking, uh, you know, respecting a, another race, minority, um, it's just not good enough. And I think that we feel collectively, if we're, you know, not adding to the problem, we're helping. But, but clearly, if you look back at the 60s and, um, you know, the difficult conversations and, you know, people, some confrontations and, you know, unfortunately, at times they've become violent, very unfortunate. But I think the, the, the masses and the protests, um, there's, it, it's very passionate. It, it's very thought out. And the majority guys, th- their intention is, is peace. And, and I think that it gets blurred. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, the, 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 the crux, the, the, the core of the problem um, the narrative gets changed into some of the results instead of what 
we really need to do to kind of to change things. You know, Dave, uh, can you take us inside a black major league baseball player? What the drive to the ballpark is like arriving in the clubhouse, conversations in the clubhouse after the game, the drive home, and what it's like even to have home life, any of those subjects. Well, my dad, African-American, my mom, Asian, Japanese descent. And I will say this is as a person, as a man of color, um, I still didn't have the, um, I, I guess, the experiences that a lot of my former teammates or your, your former teammates as mm-hmm. far as being darker skinned. And when, you know, I, I think in, there was this Zoom with uh, Glanville, Jimmy Rollins, uh, you know, some other guys, they were talking about this. and It's on The it's Athletic. In, it's called yeah, a Conversation the with and, and the it's MLB Players. Is, yeah. yeah, it's interesting is when a black man, you know, whether he's in baseball or not, when they speak up, you know, they're always looked at as militant. and not educated, not a person who's trying to, you know, get a thought out there or, or share feelings. And there's been many times, whether it's Barry Bonds or, you know, even Adrian Beltre, who, who is dark skinned Dominican, you know, that, that are treated differently. And I, I just think that for all of us to be able to hear people and I've, I've had numerous conversations and, and I'm guilty as anybody, whether it's, hearing your wife or your kids. Uh, and now you're talking about on a different level where you're talking about, you know, whether it's, you know, African-Americans being heard, but honestly, guys, I've been thinking about this a lot and you're talking about, there's a lot of talk right now of white privilege and it's not being apologetic for who you are as a person, but I've also experienced male privilege, you know, and what it means to be a male versus a woman. And, um, you know, I've experienced athletic privilege, you know, going in, getting the preferential treatment because you're an athlete. And I can't apologize for being a male or being an athlete, but I think that it's important for all of us to identify, you know, the, the prejudging, um, and hearing what people really have to say. Um, yeah, it's interesting. There've been so many, so many things that have come out, whether they are videos or statements that have really, for me, hit home and, and really made me think. One of those was from Emmanuel Acho, former NFL linebacker. I don't know if you guys saw this video that he posted. It's a nine and a half minute monologue titled, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And it's just Emmanuel sitting there staring into the camera. And he said this on white privilege. If you and I were running a race and the starter held me back for the first 200 meters, and you got a 200-meter head start. That's what's happened in America. White privilege is having a head start due to hundreds and hundreds of years of systematic racism. It's having a head start built into your life. It's not saying that your life hasn't been hard. It's saying that your skin color hasn't contributed to the difficulty of your life. That, that just That's so powerful. And I think you know, the takeaway is, you know, there's, there's a lot of takeaways and it's so powerful. Um, but it's, it's, that's the thing is I think that people have a tendency to get defensive, um, and say that their plight, their, their lot in life, 
has been difficult, as difficult as some, but we all, nobody can walk in anyone else's shoes. But I do believe that to not acknowledge, again, you know, white privilege or male privilege, uh, you know, athletic privilege, I, I think that that's doing injustice to the, to the minority. And, and I think that there's a little bit of putting your head in the sand. And, and I mentioned to, to some people, it's like, you know, being educated doesn't mean you're ignorant. And I think that people that can look at different angles and different sides of things and listen, those are the best, most profound people that I've come across, you know, speaking personally and people that I look at, you know, across the world that people that I respect and admire. You know, Dave, um, in watching the podcast of the ex-major leaguers, Dontrell Willis, Doug Glanville, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Torrey Hunter, Latroy Hawkins. One of the things that came across for me was Latroy Hawkins said, we never wanted to be a distraction in the clubhouse by talking about social injustice, but we talked about it in our three or four friends that were black and on the team, but they didn't want to bring it into the clubhouse because they wanted the team to be focusing on the game and winning the World Series. But now that they've retired, they feel a responsibility to shed light on that, that they feel more open about having a conversation and, and calling it out. Yeah, and, and that's just for me, as, and I hear that, and um, I, I absolutely believe it. And it's just sad that yeah. you know, we yeah. as an industry um, you know, want everyone to be themselves and you know, say that we want to learn about everybody and hear about you know, their thoughts, their fears, and, and care about them as people. But for, you know, three, four, five great men on that Zoom call that felt that they couldn't share their true thoughts in the clubhouse, it, it, it's saddening. Um, and, you know, you look at our game and the African-Americans in the game, it, it's less and less. And, and you know, for, for fear of upsetting or upsetting the apple cart, your job security, if you're going to voice and be that angry black man. Um, you know, I, I'm a hopeful person and optimistic, but you, you know, you have to look things kind of uh, in the face and address it. And, and it's good that we're addressing it right now. There were so many things in that. I think we, we all read that article and watched the, the zoom podcast on the athletic. Um, another thing that stood out to me was the Tampa Bay Rays state one of the things that they said in their statement was, we stand with the black families living in fear. And I read that just like, I mean, the fact that we're in 2020 and we're talking about that, that there's black people living in fear. And, you know, I, it's just, uh, I, I guess it, it goes back to the comment about probably guilty of burying my head in the sand. Feels like we should know that. We should have known that this has been going on all along, or at least talked about it more, had conversations about it more. I'm glad that we're starting to, it seems like this week, but man, it, it's. And, and the thing is, is that there's not, and, and that's powerful, and, and there's nothing that anyone is saying. There's no guilt. We're not, no one's trying to put, make anybody feel ashamed. It's challenging everyone to be better and, and to understand that we all can be better. Um, and to say that black people are living in fear, that's a, that's a reality. And, um, I can't say that I've ever been in a situation where I walk onto an elevator and someone walks out of the elevator because I'm walking on or clenches their purse tighter. I have been pulled over because of my color a couple of times, but, um, 
that's that's a reality and that's that happens every day um but again these are the conversations that we 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 can't be afraid to have and no one's trying to shame anybody we're just trying to you know make our country what it's intended to be and you know whether you're asian american latin american uh you know uh african american you know these people are very productive people in our country and this is what our country is in 2020 and um for us not to truly embrace it um like or i acknowledge said it or acknowledge least. it or acknowledge yeah. it we're, we're doing um the future generation a, a complete disservice well wh- one of the things that i heard so much from talking and listening to the black athletes is their fear of the police instead of feeling like they're protected and served like it says on the side of the car and and that has really made me sensitive to feel like when they walk outside their door they have to tell their kids to be smart and be careful and be respectful and be this they don't just say have a nice day and it just really has made me so sensitive to a saying that you use a lot Dave and the players on the athletic podcast said being Comfortable being uncomfortable. That's right. That's right. Because that's and what these conversations need to lead to. You've got to feel uncomfortable to make a change. You you do. And Oral, you you, you said it great. And and I, I think about a uh, player that uh, played for me was a was a Dodger for for many years, Matt Kemp. Um, and he we we had many conversations. Justin Upton, who I had with the Padres, and uh, talking about. You know, they're the way they're they're looked at and treated by uh, you know authorities, and and this is not a generalization. This is their own experiences, and you know, there's many people, um, you know, officers that are serving and protecting and serving and doing it the right way. Um, but there are instances that it's clear that you know color was a factor uh, in how they were treated, you know, or addressed or or pulled over or whatever, and it's just it's almost asking too much to expect that person or persons to not be affected or jaded. And I think that, so when that person has that experience and I have a, a nephew who uh, is dark skin and this little fella, you know, if there's an experience like that, that happens, you know, to him, how is it that not going to affect him going forward? And, and that, ju- that just scares me. One of the things that, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to learn, really trying to be honest with myself. And, and as I'm hearing all these voices this week and really trying to, to take it all in and learn from this. And a big motivation for me to do this learning is so I can help my kids. I can teach my kids to contribute to getting this right, contribute to the, to the world that figures this thing out. What are you telling your kids? I'm, you know what, this, this time I'm, I'm really trying to encourage my kids to speak. Um, I went to a coffee this morning and, um, I I think that this quarantining has allowed for me to not just be around my kids and my family, but really to listen to them. And I'm, for me, honestly, I want to know their perspective because so many times as parents, we're, we're always teaching and preaching. But I really want to know, because they're as much dialed in and in tune with uh, the social injustice and, and what's transpiring in our country as much as I am and my wife. So I think just hearing their opinions and thoughts and questions 
has really spurred a lot of dialogue because I, I think that we as parents know that we live a life, but then we can shape. And, and what we do as parents is we shape the our, our kids' lives. Um, but also I want to hear their own thoughts. So, you know, it's great. We're talking about it and having a conversation, having open conversations, difficult, uncomfortable conversations is part of what we need to do. It sounds like, as I learn and listen this week, but there have been other times throughout history where we've had conversations and we've listened. What do we got to do to make sure this time's different? That, that this actually sticks, that all this stuff we're talking about, it actually leads to change and that there is black equality moving forward. You know what? It's interesting. I, I think that that's a great question. And, you know, it, it's, there's things that happen all the time, whether it's an earthquake and, and hundreds of thousands of lives are lost or a tsunami in, in the East or fires in Australia. Um, you know, someone loses a life over whatever. And I think everyone acknowledges it, your heart goes out, but then your life goes on, which it, which it should. I mean, I understand that. But I think that the lasting thought that it affected so many people um, kind of is lost and gets forgotten. And this is something that, you know, people are going to listen to our conversation right now. And there's going to be some people, guys, to be quite honest, that are going to look at it and take a negative spin on this conversation. And I just don't think that that's a solution. And, and I think that's where it's, we all need to think about being the solution and not aiding in the problem. And, and I think that understanding what people's hearts are and the words might not be perfect. Um, my words, your words, orals. But I think that if we can try to take the positive and get better and all get better, that's where we have a chance to kind of sustain something really positive going forward. But yeah, if you're going to take this conversation or other conversations and feel that you're going to take offense or say, I'm doing my part, I'm not a racist, then you're, you're, missing, you're missing the conversation. You're, miss, you're completely missing the mark. And Oral, that kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning. We, we didn't know how to handle this week. We didn't know what the right thing was to do. But we said, let's talk about it at least and, and like doc you just said it, it makes me feel good to hear you say that that we're not going to be perfect as we have this discussion we're not perfect robots but like we got to talk we got to do our best to, to talk about what what's happening and and to not have it be an elephant in the room to not have our heads buried in the sand and, and to just more or less I've, i realize this is contradictory because i'm going on and on but listen yeah that, that's right but th- that's the thing is I think that, you know, our small platform and that goes to a a different group and another group. And I can't wait to reach out to the players and I'm trying to let this settle in and and guys digest it between themselves, um, their families. But I'm going to reach out to David. I'm going to reach out to Mookie and and I want their thoughts. And I'm going to reach out to Justin and, and different guys and Clayton. And I want everyone's thoughts because it's not just a white thing. It's not a black thing. And I'm going to reach out to, you know, Pedro Baez and, and these, all, all these people that, you know, it affects everyone. Yeah, I've, on the last few days watching the news, preparing for this podcast, knowing that, you know, we're probably going to address the subject. Um, I feel like I've been punched in the gut. Um, some of it with embarrassment, like why haven't I been more sensitive to this? Some of it out of news of what you live, Dave, and what other black Americans live, just bringing it to the forefront and bringing it to my mind. Um, 
I had a lot of conversations with like Al Downing and Sweet Lou Johnson and Don Newcomb, God rest his soul. And, but I didn't have enough of these conversations with my current players in the locker room, again, because you don't want to upset the locker room and you want everybody to kind of be pointed in the same direction that day to win the game and not be distracted. So it was easier to have it with the retired players when they're out there in uniform, which they were allowed to do under Tommy Lasorda's reign. They could be out there in uniform shagging with us in spring training or shagging with us in the regular season. So I had some great conversations with them, but they were conversations about the prejudice back in Jackie's day or what Nuke lived. And there was nothing about where are we today and what do we still need to change? And this is what we have to do. We have to keep this gut punch and this feeling every day. We can't let it fade or there won't be change. Yeah, that's right. And, and Reggie Smith, uh, the great Dodger Red mm-hmm. Sox player, is a good friend of mine and, and mentor of mine. And, you know, Reggie played in Boston. And, and to be quite honest, he got a bad rap. The, the media's uh, kind of labeled him as a dog, an angry black man, uh, didn't want to play hurt. And, you know, there's no, you're not going to win with the media. And he kind of basically was booted out of uh, Boston and came to Los Angeles. And um, I just admire him because he still doesn't let it fester. It still hurts. And he's brought that to my attention, which hurts me. But, you know, I've had conversation with Willie Mays when I was with the Giants. And it's just unfortunate and sad when, African-Americans can't share their true stories of what's happening and their true feelings and emotions because people don't, to be quite honest, don't want to hear it. And and like you said, Earl, don't want to be uncomfortable. And then you're jaded. You you kind of button up. You gravitate towards people that look like you. And you're in a society that feels that status quo is good enough as long as you keep your mouth shut, because if you don't, then you're looked at as angry and not intelligent and, and want to have a voice, which we should all be entitled to. Just uh, trying best to put a bow on this for now. Um, you know, we, we talk about all this and we're having this conversation and I kind of asked this before, how do we make sure that we don't just go back to normal because normal's not good enough. What is it? What do we do? What do, what do I do as a privileged white man? What does Oral do as a privileged white man mm-hmm. to be better moving forward, Doc? Well, I, I think like anything, um, it's a process for you guys to open your hearts, minds, and ears um, to continuing to uh, own that, own that um, white privilege and understand you know, what that means um, and continue to have conversations. and. We all need to be consistent with those conversations. Um, that's how things will ultimately change. And it's not going to happen overnight. And we all understand that. But I think that this is something that I'm hopeful, guys, that we're going to look back at 2020 and this is going to be a time for change. And um, the kind of the backdrop right now is certainly a lot of neg- negativity for this year from t- up through, through May. Um, but we still have plenty of opportunity to have these uncomfortable conversations and, and be better. And so as we get through this to the other side of this, um, and that's going to take time, um, I'm still hopeful that we can be better. I had a buddy of mine last night who was a huge podcast guy, listens to a ton of them. 
he said, you know what? Your podcast has become my favorite. And he, he's not the kind of guy that would tell me that just because he's my friend. He said, it is one of the highlights of my week listening to your podcast. And it hit me. Why? And he said, because everything in the world sucks right now. And everything's negative right now. And you guys have a smile. And you guys are positive. And I said, well, uh, we're going to have a tough conversation tomorrow. But we're also going to try and finish it with a smile as best we can, because there are still some good things going on out there. We don't want to not do the best thing we saw this week, because in this pile of mess, there are still those bright things. Oral, what was the best thing you saw this week? Uh, it has to be what I've seen on the news when I see the police and the protesters actually talking, and I watch it, the conversation end with a handshake and a hug. And knowing that there's some communication starting between those two groups. I had a specific one of those. Uh, Genesee County in Michigan, where I'm from originally, not too far from where you spent part of your childhood, Oral. Um, the sheriff and other cops take their helmets off, they lay their batons down, and they walk up to a protest. And the sheriff tells them, we want to be with you. Tell us what we can do. Tell us what you need. And the protesters start chanting, walk with us. And the sheriff says, let's make this a parade, not a protest, and joins their march. And there are examples like that, like you're referencing oral, that are all over the country. It just, we're overwhelmed right now by the bad, but seeing little glimmers of hope like that have been great. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's, those are two great ones, guys. Thanks for sharing. Um, for me, I'm going to go into baseball a little bit. Um, the best thing I saw this past week was David Price stepping up and uh, giving $1,000 of his own money to um, each minor league player. And I spent five years in the minor leagues where you're making eight fifty a month for five months. Uh, and, you know, you're just kind of trying to survive. And so for David, you know, you're talking about, over 200 minor league players now in, in the Dodgers system. So this is a guy that hasn't played a major league game, regular season game yet with the Dodgers and the incentive, the initiative to go out there and go into his bank account and support these guys. I, I just applaud David for who he is as, as a man and, and as a teammate. And did it without wanting uh, exposure for it, without wanting any credit. Somebody leaked that it was him. No, something. It always gets further. leaked though, doesn't it? But, <laughs> it sure does. but that's right. He did it certainly uh, for for the right reasons and not for self-promotion. So uh, all the best kudos to uh, DP. Yeah, incredible. Uh, quickly, before we get what we're most looking forward to moving ahead this week, uh, out of the mailbag, we want to we wanna talk about the Kling family. Bill Kling passed away in April from COVID-19. And he used to take the kids, Ben, Rachel, and Jake, to a game every year. Yeah, baseball's always been a huge part of their family, huge part of bringing them together and bringing them happiness. And um, we just wanted to, to say that we're thinking of the Kling family. We can't wait for baseball to get back to do what it's always done for them and, and to help them heal and to bring them joy. Oral, what are you most looking forward to this week? I'm looking forward to growing. I'm making a commitment to reach out to my ex-teammates that are black Americans, and I want to have conversations. I've already sent an email to Doug Glanville, who was the moderator in the conversation on the athletic. And so uh, I can't wait to, to learn some more and to be more sensitive. Doc? Love it. Um, I'm looking for, uh, forward to, uh, obviously, oral. That's tough to beat. But 
uh, baseball. I think that it, it, it's going to we're getting to a crossroads right here with uh, the PA and, and Major League Baseball. Um, you know, we all want baseball. So um, time is certainly working against us now. So I, I hope that we can come to some consensus and um, get some clarity on this uh, potential season. And then mine, guys, my parents decided they could take it no longer. They got in their car in Michigan, huge cooler with a bunch of turkey sandwiches, and they're making a three-day drive across the U.S. to quarantine with us here in Michigan. I don't, I don't think they care about me, but their grandkids, they wanted to come see and spend some time with. So they'll get here tonight and excited to have them here for as however long they want to stay. You know, That's Joe, uh, at the end of every broadcast, you try to beat me with, you know, I love you, man. And Dave's not with us. So with yeah. the three of us on the mics right now, I'm going to say, I love you guys. I love you too, yeah. Oral. Love you too, Joe. You guys are amazing. And, and thank you for your friendship. Love you guys. Glad we did this. And let me just leave you with, with this. 1947, Jackie Robinson makes his major league debut, breaks the color barrier. Early on in that 1947 season, the team's in Cincinnati. And during infield practice before the game, Jackie's hearing it from everybody. He's hearing it from the crowd. He's hearing it from the Reds' dugout. Racial slurs. They continue the infield practice for a moment, but then Pee Wee Reese, the captain, the shortstop, stops the infield practice, walks across the diamond, and puts his arm around Jackie. Stares into the crowd. Stares into the Reds' dugout. Doesn't say anything, but he sure as heck wasn't passive. He did something about it. And for me, that's my inspiration Moving forward, trying to be a little more like Pee Wee. And so uh, hopefully we can all be a little more like Pee Wee moving forward.